Hello, I'm Jim Lippy, and this is a Connecting IT Podcast. Welcome to the Connecting IT Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Lippy, and joining me today is Paul Odano, partner and chair of the real estate group at Choate, Hall, and Stewart. Welcome, Paul. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Well, we appreciate that. And uh, just to let our audience know, uh, you and I go way back, further back than any other guest I've had on a podcast <laughs> before. <laughs> for almost almost 30 years, not to date us. Uh, wow. But for those listening, uh, Paul and I are college football teammates at Boston University. I actually met him for the first time on my recruiting trip to, to BU. And uh, we've been friends ever since. Uh, so I was a receiver at BU, and Paul started out as a tight end and then eventually uh, uh, left BU as a defensive uh, lineman. Uh, so you would never know that by looking at Paul now because he's about <laughs> 205 pounds. Back then he was about 275 pounds. <laughs> but um, anyways, it's it's awesome to have to have you on, Paul. And one of the things I've been thinking about a lot in the midst of COVID is, you know, we're all working from home, and our MSPs, essentially, I call the economy's first responders. Right? They jumped in at a moment's notice and allowed all of these businesses to be able to not just work from home from home for you know a weekend or a week but we're going on you know four months at this point and uh now that we've gotten into this rhythm right there's a lot of people out there thinking wait a minute even when i can go back to my office do i need to go back to my office and we're spending a ton of money on real estate and i started thinking to myself you know what there's probably a lot of people with questions out there around this. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, one of my best friends is actually a partner at one of the biggest and best law firms in the country who can, who's one of the best experts to be talking to about this. So I thought to myself, let's get Paul on and talk about, you know, what's going on from a real estate perspective and what some of our MSP customers can, can be thinking about. So first let's talk, you know, about your background, Paul, just so people understand who you are and why they should be listening to you. Um, yeah, great. So um, as Jim mentioned, we go way back and, and sort of after college um, and uh, taking a year off, I, I, I went to the University of Virginia Law School um, and spent three years uh, down there in a beautiful part of the country. Um, started practicing law in New York City and eventually made my way to Boston, um, pretty much in the corporate and real estate practice from the beginning. Um, and uh, once I settled in, and um, the firm in Boston, I was uh, in 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 real estate uh, in the in both the real estate leasing space, buying, selling real estate, doing uh, joint ventures around real estate financing and uh, some days doing real estate workouts, as we call them, um, in, the, in the downturns. This is sort of my third go around 
what we would consider a downturn. Uh, it's different than the last two, the first one being post 9-11. Um, it really sort of preceded 9-11, but then carried on for a while after that. And then the second one being the Great Recession, um, world financial crisis, whatever you want to call it. And then this one, which is really wacky. Um, and, uh, you know, we just, it's hard to predict. It's hard to, hard to say what to expect out of this one, but it's certainly different than the you know, the downturn that many of us were expecting to be coming sometime soon. This one may be a little bit different. It certainly is a bit different than that. Um, but I've been in, um, you know, in real estate since then. So practicing for 22 or so years. Um, landed at uh, Choate Holland Stewart uh, about four years ago. I was lucky enough to land at Choate. It's really a fantastic place, a little bit different firm than uh, many, uh, but it's an uh, a firm that's been around for 120 plus years, um, has a fantastic um, set of practices in lots of areas, tons of um, IP, uh, private equity litigation, as well as real estate and finance and restructuring and wealth management. Um, and uh, I head up the uh, head up the real estate group there. Um, and as you said, as you as you've said, you know we're. <laughs> We're hearing the same thing that you said, Jim, from a lot of people, which is um, the world has changed with respect to the use of, you know, commercial real estate. So we're getting we're getting loads of questions. Um, not not the least of which is the one that I think you posed, which is, um, you know, we're all working from home, and to some extent we've uh, figured out how to do that. Um, I think some of us, you know, better than others. Um, and some would say that the younger generation's been better with the technology and better with being remote, but some would also say that the younger generations have perhaps fewer established relationships and more need for training and uh, more need for, you know, interaction in order to uh, get their careers started. So it's not, you know, it's affecting people throughout the, uh, throughout the experience levels in a lot of companies in, in a lot of different ways. Got it. So Paul, in terms of just like, let's start high level, right? Uh, and I would say probably 95% of our MSP customers, um, and for that matter, even our direct customers um, are all in offices, right? They, they, they have commercial real estate. Um, that obviously most of them are not using right now. So uh, do you just represent landlords or do you also represent uh, businesses that are looking to potentially get out of leases? No, we, we represent both. So let's talk about commercial leasing. Um, you know, we, we, there's, there's a bunch of different sectors. People talk about office space. They talk about lab space. There's retail, there's industrial. Um, and they're all a little bit different right now, but in the office sector, we represent tenants, we represent landlords, pr probably represent more tenants than landlords. We represent a lot of private equity companies. We represent sort of tenants large and small. We're, we're obviously a, a, a big tenant in a, in a big building. Um, but um, we, you know, our, ourselves, so you know, we deal with these issues too. Um, but we are seeing, um, we're seeing a, a huge number of questions around what do we do as a tenant 
in a building that we can't really use or we don't really want to use, right? And the initial questions that started pouring in, you know, in March, March and March and early April were, you know, hey, Paul, um, we're moving into this space. We're supposed to build it out and we can't perform. We just signed a lease. What do we do? Or we're moving out of this space and our landlord is chasing us because we can't get our stuff out. We haven't, we can't perform fast enough. You know, what do we do? Or, you know, our landlord is supposed to build out the space and they're saying they're delayed. Do they have a right to that? And how much is this going to cost us? That kind of thing. So it had to do with the performance obligations under leases where some one party, the landlord or the tenant, was responsible for a uh, physical performance obligation, either construction or permitting or um, some combination thereof or due diligence um, or, or um, the like. And you typically that kind of physical performance obligation was people were seeing the ability to exercise their rights under contracts to get an excused delay for doing that work, both landlords and tenants, whoever was old, was, was, was required to, to perform the obligation, because, typically because of a, a force majeure clause in the contract. Force majeure is right. a you know, term that technically means either sort of greater force or superior strength. Sometimes people refer to it as God. But basically, many contracts, including many leases, will have force majeure clauses that allow a party that can't, uh, allows a party that cannot perform because of an act of God or something outside of that party's control. Um, you know, it allows them a, a delay without a penalty. Um, and then that those those clauses typically have been very useful to people who have these physical performance obligations, but. The more interesting question is rent. Um, sometimes an interesting question is the obligation to remain open, particularly when you talk about retailers, right? Do I, because re, some retailers have an obligation to actually open their doors and stay open and operate their businesses or they'll be in default. Um, but for an office user, it's the obligation to pay rent. And typically, the obligation to pay rent is carved out of a force majeure clause, and it'll say that the financial obligation or the obligation to pay rent is not subject to the force majeure. And as we know, uh, you know, banks are open and companies have access to their capital, and you can't argue very easily that you can't pay your rent because you can if you have the money. Um, so in a typical situation, um, many tenants are sort of stuck in this position where they can't use the space, but they're obligated to pay the rent. Um, mm -hmm. and, that, and there's variations on that, right? Because some buildings out there are actually closed down and you can't get in. And then a tenant has a better argument to say, I can't, I really can't use the space. But other tenants will come to me and say, well, the building's not locked down. The landlord's being very good. They're keeping it clean and they're wearing masks and we could go in the building. But, you know, the governor of my state says that I can't send in more than, you know, X percent of the people or I can't send them in at all. Right. Um, right. And so it's not just a pandemic that is preventing the use of the space. It's government action that's preventing the use of the space. You know, and there's this whole set of non-real estate questions about uh, business interruption insurance and um, 
other insurance that might be available to, um, you know, to tenants and, and people, you know, uh, companies should look at their insurance closely and make sure that they aren't missing anything in terms of a potential viable claim on the insurance. Some people have what's called civil authority coverage. Some people even have specific, um, there, there, there exists specific pandemic and, and viral uh, coverage, but it's very rare. Uh, an epidemic or pandemic, but it, it exists. And there's been already a bunch of litigation around business interruption coverage, loss of earnings coverage, and that kind of thing. But that's a whole other area I just wanted to mention because that's something that can be important to uh, particularly small small businesses. You usually your commercial um, uh, your comprehensive general liability policy, a CGL policy, um, will have virus exclusions that says that say that you can't you know you're not you're not it'll it'll clearly carve this out so you're not gonna you're gonna have a hard time making a claim. We should got to look at the specific policy, but that can be a problem. Workers comp typically doesn't cover you. You know, um, there's often exclusions in a lot of these policies for pollution. Um, but again, it's a weird <laughs> it's a weird world we live in right right now, right? Because if you're if you were a cruise ship operator, um, you, know, you might might be a different story, right? It, it, there's just there's exceptions to to all the rules right now. Um, but you right. want to look at, in addition to looking at your lease, your lease contract in this context, you want to look at your insurance policies closely. Um, what I always say to people in terms of the leases is big, the big picture, it's, you've got to look at the lease document. You've got to look at the ancillary documents that relate to the lease, such as guarantees, letters of credit, and the like. Um, but, and the big picture is to understand how much term do you have left on the lease? How important are you to your landlord? How much of a guarantee do you have on that lease or how much of a security deposit or letter of credit do you have posted? And is your landlord going to be able to scoop that if you were, you know, if you were to default? Those kind of big picture questions can really play into whether you're going to have leverage as a tenant to do anything. Um, Got it. So, and, so Paul, let me give you a specific use case. Yeah. Okay. So say I'm a, I'm a 25 person business, right? I've got a five year lease on a, you know, a, a decent space, right? That I've been working out of for, you know, a handful of years. And uh, I'm saying to myself, okay, you know what? Either I don't need the space at all, or I need a, a much smaller space. What are my chances of either getting out of the lease completely or potentially working with a landlord to reduce my footprint and my monthly rent costs. Right. So that's a good example. I mean, that's sort of, the, that's a, that, that's a typical situation. It exists all over the country right now. Um, I think that again, it really, that situation could be very different depending on the terms of the lease. So you could have that situation and have a lease where you're really screwed you could have that situation and have a lease where, hey, you kind of got some 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 leverage. And the other thing that plays in is what's your landlord's situation? Is your landlord doing just fine? Are they a big, well-capitalized landlord? And if you were to go to them and negotiate, number one, if you go to them to try to negotiate, don't be surprised if they come back to you and say, no, sorry, we're not cutting any deals. 
we're not giving you any breaks. Many, many landlords are saying that. I've had big landlords say to me that they are collecting 97% of their, their rents on their office tenants. Um, and that's what they usually collect in a non-pandemic world. And, you know, that we're doing just fine and, 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 and don't be asking for a hand up. On the other hand, I know for a fact that many landlords, particularly landlords in, in suburban office buildings and, and smaller, smaller spaces, have talked to their own lenders. Because keep in mind that the, 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 the owners of these buildings can't necessarily make these decisions on their own. Their lenders often tie their hands, like they can't just amend a significant lease um, without the approval of their lender in some cases. But I know that many many lenders have given uh, owners the ability to offer tenants at least some rent deferral. Say, well, you weren't able to use your space for three or four months. We're gonna allow you to defer that rent and either amortize that over the remaining term of the lease or extend your lease out, pay it at the end. So extend your three years for another four months. That, mm -hmm. Those kinds of things are being offered. And I think a lot, of, a lot of landlords are prudent to try to work deals like that. Although for the tenant that you're describing, that's not really the, the answer, right? Especially if that tenant wants to get out or just says, it's not even worth it to be in that much space for, I don't want more term, I want less term. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the question about, do you have a guarantee? Do you have a big letter of credit is key because ultimately, Jim, in the, in the typical situation, your lease is probably gonna read in a way that your landlord has every right to sue you if you don't pay the rent. And I can mm -hmm. tell you, there's a lot of those lawsuits going on. We represent tenants and landlords and you know, you've got to chase tenants who, who, who don't pay. Um, so, it's very likely that in many, many of these situations, you're stuck, you owe that landlord a lot of money. And the question is, are you going to default either to negotiate for something or because you think you'll make out better um, having make, making your landlord chase you for the money, you'll settle for something less than you would have uh, paid if you stayed. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I can tell you, despite the fact that leases say what they say, the tenants are obligated to pay, um, there are many tenants who just stopped paying rent in, um, you know, March or April or May, and and they're negotiating with their with their landlords. And and often, you know, I mean, this is a rough and tumble business in real estate. And um, you know, sometimes in order to get a landlord's attention, I hate to say it, but the tenant needs to make that decision and say, I'm going to default. And then you you certainly get will get their attention. But you're taking a risk there, right? The risk is you might be evicted. Um, uh, some states have eviction moratoriums. Uh, Massachusetts is one of them. Um, uh, and in Massachusetts, it applies to small businesses only, but that's anybody under 150 employees. Um, and that moratorium is not going to last forever. And that moratorium only says you can't evict the tenant. It doesn't say you can't sue them for all the rent when the moratorium is lifted. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a gamble. But as a company, if if you can say, look, this we don't need the space. We can function perfectly well without this space. There's another space down the street that's smaller, cheaper. It serves our purposes really well. We can use that small space plus work from home and remotely, um, and we're going to be fine. Then there are people rolling the dice and saying to the landlords, you know, come, come sue me. We'll, we'll we'll take that battle and you'll take a haircut. And, you know, it's a it's 
it's a, it, it often a, the first step in a negotiation to save you some money on your, on your rent. So that is, that is happening. And I, I can't tell you where the courts are going to come out exactly. Uh, like if, you know, if the courts are going to be sympathetic to tenants and say, look, this COVID situation was horrible. You didn't, you didn't need to pay your rent. My gut is that most like, the courts are going to stick to the, Look at the terms of the lease, and they're going to enforce the terms of the lease. They're, they're, they're going to find that landlords are owed that amount of money, and, and landlords are going to, landlords are nonetheless going to compromise because litigation is expensive. Landlords need to fill those spaces, and they need to not be in default under their own mortgages. Um, so they're going to want to, you know, they're going to want to want to work deals. And, and like I said, we do see deals getting, um, you know, getting negotiated. Um, so it's a very, you know, it's a very, it's a very specific, again, it's a specific situation. You've got to look at each situation differently. If you, the other factor I just mentioned, uh, sorry to, to ramble on, but the other factor I mentioned is if you had, you know, if you had one year left on the lease, I think you'd have a little more leverage than if you had 10 years left on your lease, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you got that 10 year obligation, landlord's got a pretty hefty suit against you if you, if you back right. out. and um, you know, you've got you're making a much bigger decision monetarily than if you're making the decision on 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 12 months left on that on that lease. Right. Got it. So basically, if someone's got a one or two year lease, they got a much better shot because there's not as much to go after if you're the landlord. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. And you know, and that landlord already already knows that they've got to fill that space because you're you're leaving either way, likely. Um, and the market, um, you know, and I'm not a, I'm not a broker. I talk to our brokers all day long, and they'd be better resources for this. But the market has, has definitely come down significantly. We don't really know exactly how much right now because there's not a lot transacting. There's not a ton of new leases getting signed to tell you what the market mm-hmm. is right now. But we know that the um, sublease market has just been flooded with extra space because companies are trying to sublet what they have. Right, and right. that's, that's true in big cities. It's true in the suburbs, you know, it's, it's happening. Um, and we know that provides downward pressure on, uh, on new lease rents as well. And that's, I, I think, I think pretty significant, you know, you can go anywhere online and listen to, to, to podcasts and listen to uh, webinars about, what the new office is going to look like in the future and whether people are all going to live, you know, in park city instead of Manhattan and conduct business right. there. And no one really knows. Right. But I mean, I've been around long enough to know that after nine 11, everybody in real estate was saying, not everybody, but a lot of people in real estate were saying, Oh, no one's ever going to want to work in Manhattan again. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, no one's ever going to want to work up above the 20th floor again, you know, because mm-hmm. you can't get down the elevator and, you know, there's going to be planes crashing into buildings everywhere. Well, guess what? I mean, you tell me, like, did it, did it, I mean, there are a lot of things about 9-11 that were, were not forgotten and will never be forgotten. But the idea of uh, I'm never going to work in Manhattan certainly got forgotten, you know, within, right. within a year or two after that. And, and Manhattan really flourished. Um, so I think in a lot of respects, um, some of these things will be forgotten when we have a vaccine and people are going back to the office. But mm-hmm. I mean, you you know the space way better than I do. I, I got to think that you know companies have learned how 
to work remotely in much better ways or companies that were super resistant to that have, um, you know, have gotten better at it or gotten more accepting of it. And so that's going to change the, that's going to change the office market space in a huge way. And, and those people who say that, well, the counter counterbalancing, you know, factor is that, um, office spaces are going to need to have more social distance and people are going to want individual offices again, that's going to cause tenants to need more space. I kind of call bullshit mm -hmm. on that. Right, because I, I just I think that's true. You're not going to have people piled on top of each other in offices, maybe as much. But um, I think companies are much, much more likely to find ways to use a lot less space than to find ways to to, to use more space. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And one of the things that you had mentioned before. So two last questions here for you, Paul. Um, one very specific, and one kind of overarching question. The specific one is okay. I decide I'm on a two, three, four, five-year lease, whatever. I just don't need all the space, right? So I'm going to uh, I'm going to default. I'm going to let the landlord chase me and yep. let the chips fall where they may. Does that hurt me when I go try to downsize and get other space down the road um, from a credit perspective? Well, it, it could, it could, particularly if you're a pretty local business, um, the, you know, and the landlords in the area know you, you're, you're in a smaller, smaller city, perhaps. Um, mm -hmm. I think that could raise questions about, you know, are you going to do that again? But um, it's anybody's call on how that's going to play out. I think that, um, you know, your new landlord is going to be commercial about that. And is going to say maybe maybe we need a little bit bigger letter of credit from you, or maybe we want um, you know someone um, with some real backing like like Jim Whitby to guarantee the lease or something like that. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't, but I but I, but but I don't. I mean, yes, brand brokers will definitely tell you that the reputational factor is important, but, but that's I think more for really big companies. I, I think. Small companies, I think that you know the new landlord's going to be practical about that. Um, so it's really more a question of what's that financial obligation? Am I willing to potentially litigate this thing um, and and fight over that obligation, or do I want to? Am I more likely to just kind of ride out the lease and, and pay it out, or go to the landlord and and, and make threats and, and and negotiate and try to say, look, we're gonna. You know we're gonna we we can't pay the full rent, but you know you got to be careful, right? It is a you're you're asking the right question because it's a fine line between saying that I can't pay and saying that I just don't want to pay. Um, right, right, yeah. You know, and again, but again, I, I can't emphasize enough. It comes down to doing a complete analysis that um, looks at the the terms of your lease agreement, the terms of your guarantee if you have one. And um, how much term do you have? You know, how much term do you have left? And what are your what are your other options? So you've got to get a broker. You know, you've got to get a broker involved if if unless you really know that real estate market. And you've got to get, um, unfortunately, you know, a lawyer involved to figure out your lease. Got it. Okay. So, last question, Paul. Yeah. There's no one more, no one that I know that's more tied in to the commercial real estate market nationwide better than you. So what's your prediction for commercial real estate? Let's just say, you know, short term and, and long term. 
Ah, um, well, um, yeah, I'm, I'm humbled by the question because I, I, uh, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know that I know enough to tell you overall where the market's going, but I see a lot of pain out there that is not being reflected in what you see, in my view, in what you see in the stock market. It's not what you see reflected in the you know, in the, in the financial news. So to me, sometimes it's shocking that we are where we are in terms of um, the overall economy. But my my world, my world of commercial real estate is, you know, is seeing that pain. When you look at retail, it's a, there's a, there's a lot of trouble in, in, in retail, you know, and you can go through a, a huge list of bankruptcies that have already been filed and a ton of distress situations. Uh, Brooks Brothers just this week. Um, and you look at commercial again. I think there's a lot of trouble in paradise that hasn't been reflected yet. Uh, we look at residential, right? Residential is kind of weird because uh, places like New York City and LA, I think, are suffering a little bit. But people are buying homes and vacation homes, and the activity levels are really high. And there's a lot of transactions that give you data that say that that market's kind of propped up right now, even in the midst of uh, you know what looks like a recession. But in commercial, there's not as many transactions to really provide that data. But I think there's, I do think there's significant trouble in paradise there. But I don't want to say that um, that we're not going to get through that okay because you know we're seeing transactions. We've closed the number of transactions that were pre-COVID um, executions that we then you know closed on. Some of those have seen significant price reductions. Some have not. Um, some of them did get canceled, some, some deals did get canceled, but we're now starting to see some new deals. We're starting to see lenders that um, are willing to take chances on properties and take chances on chances on, uh, on borrowers. So, um, you know, I think there's, I think there's hope that, that we come back, but I think there's, there's certainly going to be some, some pain along the way when you look at the unemployment numbers and you look at the, you know, the, the amount of sublease space and the amount of companies that are, you know, trying to get out of, um, trying to get out of their leases. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Paul, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us today. Jim, this is awesome. Appreciate it. Really, really, really psyched to be, to be included. Um, and I uh, wish you and yours uh, um, the best. Stay healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we'll be talking soon. And uh, Thanks for everyone for tuning in today and uh, we'll be back soon with the next Connecting at You podcast.